0: All right, I've got a awesome guest on today's uh, show. We're talking book of the day. One of my favorite book of the days is about Jeff Bezos, how he built Amazon.com into one of the great companies, not just of our time, but maybe of all time. The book is The Everything Store, Jeff Bezos and the Age of Amazon. And I'm uh, very happy to be speaking with Brad Stone who wrote the book. A lot of time uh, put into it and uh, we're just going to go and learn about Jeff Bezos and Amazon and those, listen, those of you listening. This applies whether you're an entrepreneur now, whether you're dreaming of bigger things. Uh, and uh, so thanks for being on the, on the show. Thanks, Ty. Thanks for having me. So what I like to do with these is just jump in. I always like to eat the dessert first. I break the rules. <laughs> so my favorite story... Uh, about Jeff Bezos, and you cover this in the book. There's a, there's quite a few, but let's start with, you're Jeff Bezos, you have a nice job, you're comfortable, it's the 1990s, and you go, do I quit my job, and am I right that he borrowed some money from his parents, 70 grand or something like that? And then kind of broke off and did his own thing, and I saw a video where he said the regret minimalization framework, where he was talking on YouTube and he said, I knew that even if it failed uh, and I lost the money and lost the time and didn't have my job, at least I wouldn't grow old regretting and, want- and seeing someone else live out my dream. At least I knew I tried it myself.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. And, and it's interesting to tell this story because it's, it's worth noting here that this is like the, this is almost one of the origin stories for businesses on the Internet. I mean, we're talking here 1994, so more than 20 years ago. You know, Netscape hadn't even gone public. Um, the Internet is, uh, is, is something that only geeks know about. The World Wide Web has actually just really been invented and is starting to take off. And Jeff is a vice president, a very successful young vice president at an investment bank uh, called D.E. Shaw. Um, It was actually what was known as a quantitative hedge fund. So it was was almost a technology company in New York City that used uh, supercomputers and algorithms to make trades, to make very profitable trades. It was a very secretive company um, and uh, its founder, David Shaw, was a former computer science professor at Columbia. And he, he basically loved Jeff, and he put Jeff in charge of looking at new business opportunities. And, uh, and, and, and Bezos, uh, you know, came up with a couple of things um, in conjunction with his colleagues. But he noticed that the web was growing very quickly, and he started to think about the possibilities, you know, of, of building a store online. What could you sell? in this new medium, and you know, we, we all know that Amazon started with books, but uh, he, he didn't necessarily have books at the top of the list. He, he made a list of all sorts of things, um, you know, music, uh, v- videos, movies, it was, of course, VHS at the time, or DVDs were just starting off, electronics, clothes, but there was something uh, that really worked well with books, um, among other things, they're, they're commodities, so you, you kind of know what you're getting when you order a book wherever. Right. Um and, and and then he kinda had to make this decision. Does he start it with David Shaw, you know, inside the Shaw or does he um take a risk. And this was at the time where, you know, entrepreneurship is not as heralded as it is now, and starting an internet company is not this, uh, you know, this prized cultural uh, accomplishment. And so, yeah, Bezos back then took took a big risk. Um, he, you know, he told David Charles that he wanted to go do this himself. It wasn't necessarily a very amicable breakup. You know, Bezos had some resources, but certainly not enough. So How much he was he making?
0: For- How much do you think he was making at his job? Because a lot of people ask me, Ty, what if I'm making good money where I am? He was making good money, right?
1: I'm sure he was. And I don't know. I can't, I can't remember what exactly it was, but you know, the, the big wall street bonus probably, uh, kicked his compensation up if, uh, you know, if not to the, the high six figures, the low seven figures and he's, he's 30 years old at the time. So, um, you know, enormously successful. So he was giving a lot up. He had an apartment on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. He had just gotten married, um, and yet, you know, he 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 really he really loved um, and, and and prized um, other entrepreneurs. He he was he he is a voracious reader, and he followed the careers of you know Thomas Edison and, and other great inventors. And he wanted to start something himself. And uh, and he took
0: the risk. Let's talk about that for a second because you hit on my second point I want to discuss. So first point, and you, you have this quote in the book that says uh, by Jeff Bezos, when you're 80 years old and in a quiet moment of reflection, narrating for only yourself the most personal version of your life story, the telling that will be the most compact and meaningful will be the series of choices you have made. In the end, we are our choices. That's his commencement speech at Princeton in 2010. And so you see there, I call those crossroads events he's working at this New York uh you know Wall Street firm making good money 30 years old and he is now happy for the choice to you know the the, the what is the old saying the uh I was going through the woods and I met two paths and I took the path less uh trod upon that's and I, I'm right. I'm so much happier for uh, I butchered but it. Has the, made all the yeah, here. I think that's Frost that said that. And so, yeah, and, go ahead, yeah. Yeah, and this is where the past diverged for him. And um,
1: and he, you know, he, he, it wasn't clear what the right thing to do was. Certainly, yeah, his parents, his friends, uh, other other people told him that a much safer thing was to stay in New York and, and remain working for this uh, very... The very very successful hedge fund. Um, actually, the funny thing is that later in the '90s, D. E. Shaw kind of sailed into some trouble, and uh, at the same time, you know, Jeff by then was a billionaire. So he,
0: you know, he. It turns out that the riskier path uh, was the right call. And uh, now that leads me to the second point I was saying. And you know, this this show is kind of a book of the day show. I, I read books, talk about them, and you're helping me get more in depth. So thanks for that. And. One of the things I love to see in a book is about a great person like Jeff Bezos reading and how instrumental that was. And I remember in your book, one of the great uh, nuggets I took away was how much Jeff Bezos read Sam Walton's book called Made in America. And that's one of the books I recommend entrepreneurs read. And he had tattered copy full of notes that he was always reading and going back through. Do you, can you speak a little bit on those mentors that he got through books and also if you know any in person would be awesome to hear about
1: right well um the the main thing to take away is that um there is a culture of reading at amazon so they have book groups and it's often the books uh they've read as a as a team that have made the most impact on the organization so you mentioned um Sam Walton's Made in America obviously I think very early on um, that was incredibly important Um, you know there are there are some other books that I kind of detail. I actually have an appendix uh, at the end of the book that talks about what some of the most important books for Amazon uh, have been. Um, there's a, there's one called The Mythical Man Month um, that talks about um, how to organize small software groups. It's an old book by a guy named Frederick Brooks, and uh, why why small teams. Um, you know, in software are important, and why as you scale an engineering team, it actually gets more unwieldy and less productive the more people you add to it. So, so that's a kind of counterintuitive insight that has led to a big cultural change, uh, shift at Amazon. They have these things called two pizza teams that are going to be small enough to, you know, feed the team at night with two pizzas, uh, and that's. Um, you know and that uh that's, that's that comes really from reading um, i in one chapter i detailed the entire history of the very profitable aws division at amazon that is amazon web services it's their cloud their pioneering cloud computing division and that came in large part from an insight uh, from a book by a game designer so uh, it's it's it, the Some personal books that Bezos drew great inspiration from, and then there are some books that he he got his his company to read that, uh, you know, kind of contribute to the successful company we see today.
0: Yeah, it's so I always say, you know, there's kind of a myth, there's some truth to it, but there's always this myth that all the truth lies within, if you can only look within, but, you know, human language, all of us, that we've been born on a desert island, within us wasn't the ability to know English you know there's so many things that are only learned from outside sources and people Bill Gates and Warren Buffett were both both asked in separate interviews if they could have one superpower what would it be and they both answered the same answer was to be the fastest reader and so I was finding you know Jeff Bezos not only read a lot but he for varying reasons said let's make a let's launch a business around books so he's a He's a uh, he's close to my heart in that I I like that mentality. Now let's talk about the aggressiveness because for myself and you know these shows even though I I I put these out for the public I originally started these just to gain insight for myself and I've tested in myself being passive versus being aggressive in life and in business specifically in business and as you read your book Jeff Bezos was very aggressive, maybe to a fault at points, but it made him who he was. There's that story about the diaper company that he wanted to buy and they wouldn't sell to him. And he said, look, either sell to me or I'm going to come in. And he said, we're going to underprice diapers. And one of his employees, I think said something like, if we underprice this much, we'll lose hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And he said, I don't, you know, I don't care. He was aggressive at growing his business when he wanted to. Can you speak on the the good and bad, or... Not, not I don't like to speak... Let's change the words. What you would do in your own life, what you took away positively about aggression versus what you would maybe shy away from.
1: Well, you know, let's, let me start by positing that Amazon has grown as an organization, it's grown as an acquirer, uh, it has evolved. So the things that were true 10 years ago, 5 years ago, may not be as true today, but they're instructive, you know, and I think... Uh, people in technology, you know, Amazon is secretive, you know, and it's, it has this mystique and people don't necessarily understand it that well and Amazon hasn't really cultivated a great understanding of itself because it sees the opportunity before it as so large that they want to fly under the radar because they're in a in a foot race uh, to, to win the 21st century retail landscape so um, but you know a little background in, in the in the late 90s Amazon was a voracious acquirer and did a horrible job um, it, it did a horrible job partnering with companies and acquiring companies it was just a mess all around. Around. They lost a ton of money during the dot com boom, and they almost went out of business in the dot com bust. And then, really, for most of the 2000s, they really kept to themselves. They did not acquire a lot. They didn't acquire, you know, many big companies as Google was buying the likes of YouTube and DoubleClick. Amazon was really doing almost nothing. Hmm. But. Uh, as as Amazon Prime kicked in, as the numbers started to get better from that near death experience, they did start kind of reaching out into some into some new markets. And, yeah, they were fairly predatory. So in the book, I, I talk about uh, Amazon's pursuit of a company called Quincy. It owned the diapers.com brand. This is 2008, 2009. The numbers were starting to look good. They weren't, Amazon wasn't making a ton of money, but uh, the, the faithful investors could see that this was working. And uh, the folks at Quincy, who ironically have started a new company called Jet.com, um, they hmm. wanted to have nothing to do with Amazon. Um, they, you know, customers loved them, Uh, and yeah, and you're right, Amazon uh, just undercut them, started a program called Amazon Mom, um, really gutted the profitability out of that segment, and, um, you know, and and basically, you know, prove to, to other e commerce entrepreneurs that you can't out Amazon Amazon. You can't sell commodities as Amazon does for low prices based on good customer service and rapid shipping and hope that Amazon's not gonna notice. So, you know, Quizzy uh, you know tried to tried to fight the good fight the profitability evaporated in part because of the financial crisis in part because of the Amazon price cutting and uh, they ended up selling and then those those founders uh, from diaperscom left and uh, and are now fighting Amazon again so there's some great intramural warfare there uh, but you know the lesson is that yeah Amazon can be fairly uh, hard-nosed and we've seen that not only in its acquisitions but it's dealing with it's dealing with book publishers, and that's a separate topic. And I think Amazon has kind of softened its behavior there too. But you know, for many years, book publishers thought Amazon was just you know very difficult to deal with, uh, just out for almost. Nothing other than a very low price on on a digital book, and it was gutting uh, the economics of the physical book business. Book chains, independent bookstores were going out of business, and you know you saw that played out in years of uh, battle warfare with Apple and an antitrust lawsuit against Apple and the book publishers. A very long story, but the bottom line, Ty, is that you know Amazon, it, you know. It could be a pretty hard-nosed and ruthless competitor.
0: Do you think – so let's talk – you know, I, I read an interesting book called The Self-Made Billionaire Effect, and so these researchers went out and they said, what makes people a billionaire? And the final conclusion was it's habits of the mind. Uh, it, they isolated for things like, you know, where you were born and the advantages you had, and they said, really, it really to the in their opinion – it came to that. So, do you think the aggressiveness is somewhat a habit of the mind that defines just who Jeff Bezos is? So, if someone's listening, person listening can go, "All right, maybe I've been a little bit too passive in life. If i and if I want to knock things out, I better, uh, better jump on it. No one's going to do it for me, and maybe a little aggression won't hurt me." Well, I, you know, it's it's uh,
1: it's uh, funny when I you know when I. When I study folks like Jeff Bezos or read about um, or report on, you know, the, the habits and behaviors of great CEOs like a, like a Steve Jobs, I do kind of worry that maybe some people will be drawing the long lessons. You know, these guys are very difficult in meetings. They suffer no fools. They can lash out at colleagues. Um, you know, they strike a good amount of fear in the people around them. Um, and that's tied up in the aggressiveness. But you know, it, it works because it goes hand in hand with inspiration and in intuition. And it works when, you know, it works because they're right, <laughs> you know? Like Steve Jobs was right about uh, digital music and smartphones and Jeff Bezos has been right about e-commerce and cloud computing. So I would say the aggressiveness um, and the sort of personal, uh, you know, kind of sharp elbows is is something that some, maybe some people should adopt, you know, like, but and it, and it works because they're inspiring speakers and they were startup founders, you know, and and Jobs, you know, got fired and came back and and they had these incredibly difficult paths, but you know, I would say like the personality quirks are kind of, you know, they don't work for everybody, you know, they, in right. fact, they don't work for most people. Like that aggressiveness is just going to turn turn folks off unless it's really. Joined at the hip with a kind of magical ability to to intuit where where markets are going.
0: So the the rule maybe is if you're really good and really right, like take a Michael Jordan, you could be a little bit edgy. But if you're if you're not at that level, you might uh, you might get a lot of blowback on you. I think that's exactly right. I mean, um,
1: and uh, you know, and then the and then that kind of corporate behavior that Amazon has. Experienced, you know, has exhibited in the, in the book, process, let's just take, you know, or it's no secret that uh, most, most folks in the publishing industry for a very long time resented the heck on Amazon. Right. You know, that, that, that approach has really only worked for Amazon because it has been coupled with a, a very straightforward customer centric approach. So if Amazon was doing all this to book publishers while raising prices for books and eBooks, then I think they'd probably be the subject of an antitrust, you know, Right. right. Investigation. But because it's been coupled with this, like, you know, incessant focus on lowering the price for books and expanding opportunity for unpublished authors, you know, they, you know, I mean, you know, like, officially, the Justice Department has stayed away because it seems like it's been good for consumers, and you know, and, and customers. You know, you hear people complaining about Amazon, and then you ask uh, to see their uh, account, and it turns out that they're a Prime member, spending hundreds of dollars a month. Yeah. So, like we're all sort of addicted to it, even even if we acknowledge that some of the some of the behavior is uh, is uh, has been tough on competitors. Yeah.
0: Now, one of the great chapters in this book, uh, this is in the, I've got that. I read the physical book, and I also have it on iBooks. I have it. So on the iBook, it's page 502. And you talk about one of the men who worked with Jeff Bezos was a guy with the last name Dalzell. And he said, you say, Dalzell watched Amazon from afar and marveled at how Bezos turned himself into one of the world's most admired corporate chiefs. Jeff does a couple of things better than anyone I've ever worked for. So here's the two things I'd love to hear your elaboration on number one they said about jeff bezos he embraces the truth a lot of people talk about the truth but they don't engage their decision making around the best truth at the time and the second thing is he's not tethered by conventional thinking was that what's amazing to me is he's bound only by the laws of physics he can't change those everything else he views is open to discussion so how does this you know and i i just talked to uh, ashley vance who wrote the And had exclusive access to Elon Musk. Same kind of story. I I read a book by this uh, co-author with Stephen Hawking, Mlotta now. I think it's called The Upright Thinker. And he says, you know, the way to think like Einstein is to imagine that there's, you're an alternate universe of, of infinite possibilities. Then you build that and then, I mean, then you plan that way and then you come back to the real world and try to adjust. And that's a little bit like this. He's only bound by a few laws. Uh, so it's unconventionality, but also no delusion. You know, If you love the truth, that means you're willing to say, this is my baby. I've launched this division of my company, but it's not working, so I'm going to shut it down. Most people can't do that.
1: Yeah, that's right and the way bezos puts it is is it, with a phrase called stubborn on vision flexible on details um and you know there are a couple examples throughout amazon's history of where you know as delzell said he, he kind of embraced the best truth at the time and one is the is the famed amazon distribution network where you know they've had a couple of iterations of it over the years the goal is always been to, you know, do uh, do very rapid delivery and, uh, and to, um, you know, relieve customers of the cost of, of shipping. And, you know, they started out by putting uh, big distribution centers in the middle of nowhere, basically, to get tax breaks. Um and to uh, to avoid uh, paying sales tax in uh, the most popular states, uh, and over time they've adjusted. Right, they've kind of thrown out the old strategy. They've they've uh, all, you know stubbornly reached deals to pay sales tax in places like California and uh, New York State, and and then they've moved distribution centers out of the moon docks and uh, and into you know the periphery of cities, and in some cases, right in back middle of cities. There's a a small uh, distribution center in uh, midtown Manhattan across from the Empire State Building. So, separate on the vision of uh, rapid, uh, inexpensive delivery, and then flexibility on how you're going to do it, you know, or uh, the best truth at the time. Like, uh, another good example is, uh, you know, as drone technology has kind of matured, you know, we all thought it was a PR stunt, but Bezos was thinking uh, very hard, working towards it, delivering products in the air, over our heads, via drones, and it's because you know, he's embraced this truth that uh, this stuff is getting better, and one day it's going to be used to deliver packages.
0: Yeah, and most people, you know, the average person goes, that's impossible, and they stop right there, whereas he goes, is this the law of physics? Could I deliver through the air with little robot drones? If the answer is yes, then it's on the table no matter how absurd. And that's, uh, they call that extraordinary imaginative vision. And billionaires are in high, uh, are in possession of this at higher levels uh, than, the, than the population at large. So, you know, when I read a book like this, I go, Ty, be careful of saying you can't do it. Because what ends up happening is someone else does it, then you feel stupidly. Like, you know, it's like Netflix. Think about how we say right. that Netflix, you know, Reed Hastings comes in and it's in hindsight, you're like, oh, this is this is obvious. This is easy. Tesla, Elon Musk, electric cars. People said, oh, well, there's not enough charging stations. He said, well, once I build the cars and people adopt them, they'll start putting them in. Now, everywhere in L.A. has charging stations. So you look 20 years from now, your kids will look back and go, you mean you doubted uh, that there would be charging stations? Like, come on. Right. And it's probably the same with Jeff Bezos. It's like, oh, you, you doubted that, that there'd be drones? But now, which reminds me of this question of fear and doubt. What are some of the things that he had to deal with when he was starting out? Any stories on people going, this is going to fail, the naysayers and how he dealt with them?
1: Yeah, there, I mean, there really have been naysayers at every step of uh, of the Amazon story. I mean, even today, as people point uh, incessantly to its uh, failure to to make a lot of profit. Uh, but early on, it was, you know, there, there were different rounds of disbelievers. And I would say, um, you know, early on, people thought eBay was a, a much kind of uh, less uh, frictionful way to, you know, to deliver uh, products um, bought online because... You know the sellers were going to be responsible for shipping. You didn't need to build the big distribution centers, and then you had a, a round of uh, naysayers during the dot-com bust that just thought Amazon was over-leveraged and was going to go out of business, and the stock went from you know the hundreds to the single digits, and you know. Publications like Barrons were putting Amazon. on the cover, and and Bezos it was you know it was sort of a pinata, uh, and then and then you had Amazon in the age of Google, uh, you know, two thousand five, two thousand six, during the the Google IPO, and that's a much better business model, and Amazon was losing a lot of engineers. Google was seen as a merrier place to work. So it's been kind of incessant. Uh, and Bezos, you know, among among many things, has been a brilliant strategist, in figuring out at every step of the way what Amazon's kind of core advantages are, why it's uh, beloved by its, its customers, and then how to kind of double down on those advantages and expand out from there. Um, what,
0: what are Amazon some a, What are some of those advantages? Well,
1: uh, they've got. Uh, You know, they've they've got a great reputation, right? Their customers tend to like them. Um, And and it's because, you know, it relieves them of the need to go uh, to the store and the park and to, you know... Joust for items that may not be on the shelves, uh, Amazon has You know hundreds of millions of credit cards That's something that Google doesn't Necessarily have. Uh, Apple Has via iTunes. Facebook doesn't uh, Really have. Um, so so There's that advantage. And then The fulfillment centers. You know that thing that everybody Thought was a disadvantage in the battle Against eBay in the 90s Well it turns out that you know a million Mom and pop uh, uh, Shops or, or hobbyists Aren't all that good at packaging up items and sending them off in the mail, and that you know, Amazon develops a real core competency. I mean, I would say this is the number one Amazon advantage: they know how to. They know they are they are they are they are very adept the most in the world at centralizing inventory, storing it around the country, and then patch, packaging it up sometimes with automation, sometimes with uh, low-wage low laborers, packaging it up and getting it to your doorstep at the quickest and most inexpensive uh, uh, time possible. And it's I mean, insane that, that, how fast. Nobody, everybody's yeah. everybody's pursuing that, and, nobody, and Amazon's well ahead.
0: Yeah, Amazon, it's amazing. Here in L.A., uh, I think they're almost doing same-day shipping. Like, I'll, I'll order something and I'll get it. Maximum the next morning if I order at 3 p.m. It's, it's, I know in big cities they're even accelerating these pickup stores and things like that. Now, one quick thing going back to the habit of the mind Jeff Bezos uh, maintains, what in the midst, so if somebody's listening and they're thinking about doing something new, I found. Uh, I think it was Gandhi that said, you know, at first they ignore you, then they hate you, then, you know, finally they love you. How do you, most people struggle with that early stage where you're not successful enough to say, I told you so, but people, you're visible enough to your friends, family, acquaintances, competitors that, that people start saying stuff to you. What do you think was his trick to maintaining his vision? Was it, he, is he just stubborn? Is he good at ignoring? Does he not read the paper? Does any kind of uh, insight there on uh, personally how to deal with, you know, those kind of yeah. challenges?
1: Yeah. With his, uh, his, his knowledge of the business and his um, his optimism about it, and you know, we see the same thing right now with companies like Uber and Airbnb. You know, on the one hand, you know, the outsiders um, you know are, are um, they're looking at uh, maybe the broader economic environment, the direction of of, of the stock price. Um, uh, you know, these are not really indications of the health of, of the business. You know, these are this is effect. You know, not cause. And Bezos at every step of the way, I think, knew that he had a better mousetrap, a better way for people to buy and that customers were responding to it. And so You know, he's looking at numbers like free cash flow and, you know, customer accounts and and the average uh, monthly spend. And these, you know, have have been numbers that have been going up for 20 years for Amazon because customers find it to be a compelling experience that fulfills its promises. And I think that has always given him a a belief that this is going to work and that it was going to, you know, create uh, the flexibility for Amazon to go and try new things and build and 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 diversify into uh into other markets. Now, you know, did the confidence waver at, at times uh, and did Jeff and his his colleagues kind of hide it? I'm sure that they did, you know. I in 2000 2001, um, did they really uh, believe uh, that they had an escape velocity? Um, you know, that was partly going to be in, in uh, a function of uh, the, the, the broader kind of willingness of investors um, you know, to keep funding this grand experiment. Um, you know, if everyone, if everything had turned sour and Amazon suppliers had kind of called their accounts in and wanted to be paid immediately instead of in in, in, in in a couple of months, and Amazon could have been in trouble. So they skated close to, uh, you know, to do it a couple of times, but Bezos has always been super optimistic. I mean, I think he believes that, you know, you create a compelling service and you keep prices low and you you deliver quickly, the customers are going to love it. And, And the fact is, is that, uh, I would say, you know, mass, you know, mass market chain retail has never really been a, you know, I mean, certainly Walmart has done a great job of like keeping prices down, um, but you know, the merchandise is cheap and uh, and the and the shopping environment is, you know, kind of and this might be expressing a personal viewpoint, but sort of hellish, right. uh, you know, the, particularly during the holidays and. Uh, you know, and and so to stay home and and uh, and and to click and to have it show up for the next day or two is a, a pretty seductive experience.
0: Yeah, I think one of the great, you, you know, so going back to what we were just talking about is it's singular vision. I, I have a friend here who uh, is one of the heads of a big mo- uh, studio. Makes a lot of, I think he won two Academy Awards. His studio last year, and he. He's, I asked him, what's the key to a good movie? And he said, singular vision and keeping your eye on the ball when the chaos is all around you focusing. Or as uh, Michael Jordan's psychologist told me, he said, the Michael Jordan's secret was eye of a hurricane. The more the hurricane uh, is storming and blowing, the cooler under pressure Michael Jordan got. And I think Jeff Bezos, just from reading your book, definitely has that same... Attribute and and uh, one of the things, kind of a unique thing. I don't know if he got this from Sam Walton's book because Sam Walton lists as you know top ten things to do, customer first. And you talk about how Jeff Bezos, they were. I think it was a product on Amazon that was like healthcare, but it was sex toys or something. And there was one complaint, and from a customer wrote in that got like maybe a conservative housewife or something wrote in and said, "How come I?" you know, getting porn stuff from Amazon, and Jeff Bezos was basically ready to shut down a $100 million division around one customer complaint because he, he checks jeff at amazon.com. You can email him. So he's so attentive to the point of one or two customers giving him valid feedback, he'll change the whole ship. I mean, that's a pretty amazing level of yeah, attention. Yeah, that's
1: right, and, and the story uh, there was it was... Um it was uh, it was someone who had had purchased uh, lubricants on Amazon and then had gotten a marketing email that you sometimes get from Amazon hey you searched for lubricants. you might also like this stuff and you know and, and so Jeff thought well this why are we embarrassing our customers shouldn't we turn off email marketing for certain sensitive categories and and uh, and and so he kind of Raised holy hell inside the organization about the limits and and the efficacy of, of email marketing, and it's I mean one you know he was right there and you didn't need a volume of complaints to know that you probably shouldn't embarrass your customers, uh, but two it's a way that he you know monitoring his own email inbox and, and taking uh, little anecdotes, uh, it you know as a in addition to using data to make the site and the services better, you know using anecdotes is a way that he kind of spread his 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 uh, input across what is now just a massive organization with uh, you know hundreds of thousands of employees can't get knee deep into everything and so he kind of selectively audits the organization and he does it with these emails and when he sees something that's wrong um, he uses it as an opportunity to go and to drive some change and to to, like kind of tussle with the the fundamental values of that particular part of the company so in this case it was yeah this was like maybe we shouldn't be sending email marketing to to the sexual kind of health category of Amazon but it was also an opportunity to go and kind of rethink all right what what are the values of email marketing and how much should we be using it? So, you know, it's his way to kind of dis- disperse his time and his vision, uh, and it's also a way to make sure that the company is always always continues to listen to customers.
0: Yeah, I think it's as Sam Walton said, the best style of management if you're an entrepreneur is over the shoulder, meaning let people do their thing, but every once in a while, spot check. And, and I think, like you said, that's why Jeff Bezos is checking his... Uh, Check an email just to double check that there's, you know, nothing slipping through the cracks. Now, next thing that I wrote, really, one of the greatest lines in here, and I've said this to my staff a lot, talking about workload because one of the big talk, one of the big uh, issues germane to all humans is how do I balance work and play and family and working out and all this stuff? And there's a on in the ebook or the. The uh, Apple book, page 169, says, During one memorable meeting of employees, a female employee pointedly asked Bezos when Amazon was going to establish a better work-life balance. He didn't take that well. The reason we are here is to get stuff done. That is the top priority. That is the DNA of Amazon. If you can't excel and put everything into it, this might not be the place for you. So he clearly maybe some people would perceive him as a uh you know workaholic what is your take on that approach and how it applies not just to Jeff Bezos but what's the takeaway for people listening uh to today's show
1: Uh, startup CEOs, and entrepreneurs are going to demand as much from everyone around them as they do from themselves, and it's uh, signing up for. You know, this was this was said in the in the nineties. I don't. I think Amazon's a little different today as a mature company, although certainly they are required to, to work hard. Um, but. Uh, you know he, he didn't uh, he didn't abide discussion of work-life balance. You know he wanted uh, he wanted uh, all his soldiers on the field, and uh, and that was tough for people. And this was you know again this was before the kind of culture of Silicon Valley you know spread across the business world, and um, you know Amazon lost a lot of early people, and, and maybe they didn't quite know what they were signing in for. But there was a lot of turnover over the first two decades of Amazon, probably more so than uh, some other internet companies. And it was because uh of the culture you know and the fact that uh it was uh it was it was it was supposedly work hard play hard but you know it was really work hard and um, you know and, and jeff you know drove drove a hard culture so um you know and again it's one of those things that like that founder entrepreneur, um, the guy who started it, who put everything on the line, uh, and then and, and whose bets have paid off in a masterful way for employees and investors, uh, and there are only a few folks like that in the world, like a uh, Zuckerberg or a Steve Jobs uh, or uh, Larry Page or Jeff Bezos. You know, they can get away with it, you know, because uh, they inspire their people, and um, and so. You know when Bezos said that, uh, you know maybe it was a, a little early, uh, but uh, but you know he he's he, he's now he, he inspires his employees and and they, you know they kind of live uh, and work to please him, and so um, you know and so he, he he you know he uses that power by really motivating his employees and getting everyone to work hard. Uh, you know even though this is a. You know, uh, a company with over 100,000 employees, you know, in some way, they're more entrepreneurial and have more startup uh, pace than any other company in retail.
0: I think that, you know, for me, it's, I call it the front-loading effect. What you want to do in life, and, and this is based on an ancient proverb from thousands of years ago that that says, it's good to bear the yoke in your youth. Talking about, you know, cattle, oxen used to have a, a yoke on them to do heavy work. And if you look at the pattern, whether it be Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates has a similar one. Bill Gates says from age 20 to age 30, I basically locked myself in a room, and he said he didn't take one day off in 10 years. But at the end game, anybody listening to this, which of us wouldn't exchange age 20 to age 30 hard work on something important to be worth multi-billions of dollars? It's a pretty good trade-off. So. This is the, you know, as long as your workload goes down over time, like you said, Amazon has evolved. I'm sure people aren't working as hard as they were when they were in a garage, you know, or, or that type of setting. So I always say, don't be afraid of hard work as long as it tapers off eventually, you know. Joel Salatin, my first mentor, used to say, Ty, a man can do anything as long as it's not forever.
1: Why it's been so fun to study Bezos over the years is he has gotten better at, at managing his his time and his increasing workload and expanding his influence. And so, you know, the, the reason why he's been able to do things like buy the Washington Post or start a space company on the side is he's he's just very strategic about his own uh, time and efforts and, and impact and he you know I, I, my sense is he keeps innovating and I, I'm not close enough to know to have great examples but I kind of I kind of can guess like he keeps innovating against his own schedule constantly making sure that uh, um, you know he's doing things as efficiently as possible a great example that I can give you is early on he basically said he wasn't going to do any more one-on-one meetings with his direct reports he just he didn't find them to be useful or they were over consumed with political uh political matters and so basically uh you know the the common meeting environment at amazon is going to be like the s team so that's the senior team and they you know they meet and and the meetings are started by everybody reading a document uh, that has been pre-prepared by whoever is uh, orchestrating the meeting and presenting. And every, these are called narratives, and they're very strict styles at Amazon. And everyone sits in silence and reading the document. Jeff probably reading it for the first time. And then there's and then there's a discussion afterward. And again, this is basically Jeff over the course of you know fifteen years refining and refining the process for digesting information. And having a valuable discussion about it. And, and, and you know, everyone's style is going to be different. Jeff, I think, prefers to, to you know, take in information through reading. He's a great reader. And, and so that's why the style has been developed at Amazon. It's probably different for other CEOs and founders at other companies. But it's it's really this great triumph of time management, which allows Bezos to continue to work hard, but have uh, four kids and all these companies on the side.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I lo- I love that that he requires. Isn't it like a six page doc- six page document you have to write up or something that and that's well right. written with, with, with footnotes and
1: yeah, execs and employees at Amazon spend great chunks of their year preparing for the narrative that they're going to uh, show to show to business in an S meeting.
0: <laughs> what about what else about his daily schedule? Because that's one of the big questions people ask me about my life and about you know entrepreneurs. Uh, what is, you know, he's got four kids. What is his daily schedule? Is he early riser? Is he, you know, do you know, I'm sure that's changed over time too.
1: Yeah, I wish I, 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 uh, you know, I knew more about it. Um, but, uh, my, you know, I, and it, it may even have changed since, um, I, You know, I I published the book, but, you know, I know that one one day a week he he spends at uh, Blue Origin, a space company, um, you know, twice a year. There are these deep reviews at Amazon uh, where the entire S team kind of audits all the different parts of the business. Um, uh, You know, I think the week starts with a senior team meeting where they review the, 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 the business it's very data centric um i know i i i remember witnessing this mckenzie just wife dropping them off uh, at work uh, so they still you know drive to work every day and um but you know, as he has as his as his wealth has has risen, you know, he, he's gotten very secretive. So um, it's it's you know it's kind of hard to discern too much. I know I can tell you this: he does he does he seems to do less and less media interviews uh, over time. So that uh, that is definitely not a big part of his uh, regular schedule anymore.
0: And you were saying, going back to those meetings that he does, you're saying he doesn't like to meet one on one because he feels like people are going to come in and say oh you should get rid of so and so oh you should promote me so he's like let's just meet where it's safer for me in a larger group is that kind of the mentality
1: I think that's right I mean I just think it it wasn't like it wasn't making a meaningful impact in the business he didn't feel like it was a great way to spend his time I'm sure some one to one meetings still happen among Jeff and key employees but um uh, it was very early on where he he just he just felt like uh, wasn't wasn't like a great use of his time. Again, constantly innovating against his own schedule and against uh, the culture of the company and finding ways to make it more efficient. And I don't think even twenty years into the company, the depths changed. I think they continue to do things. Um, if anything, you know, Amazon's been a great innovator in e-commerce and in the cloud, but also in terms of uh, you know, corporate culture and, and, and corporate productivity. I think he could. He, I think he would probably see that as one of the great uh, kind of kind of platforms where Amazon innovates and they continue to, to try new things.
0: Now, one uh, as we kind of wrap up here, one uh, missed opportunity. You know, I always tell people Jeff Bezos was at a crossroads at uh, in '94, and he obviously took a road that, in hindsight, was the road that almost all human humans would have liked to have taken—the one that gets you to. 40-plus billion dollars, uh, but there's a story, I'm pretty sure it's in your book, I was I couldn't find it earlier, the story of uh, a person, I think it was a lawyer, who had the opportunity to invest, and what was it, the lawyer was supposed to sell a barn or something, I think that,
1: that's right, I remember, yeah. Can you tell that well, missed uh, opportunity story? His, his father got sick, this is, I can't remember his name, but, and that's funny because, you know, today in Silicon Valley, there there are lots of angel investors that uh, missed on Uber, missed on Airbnb, and 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 there were there were You know, Jeff had a very hard time raising the initial capital for Amazon, and and there was this one lawyer who, his dad had a farm, and his dad got sick, and and. The, you know, while Jeff uh, had asked uh, if he wanted to invest in Amazon, and the time wasn't right. This guy was consumed with Family Matters, and, uh, you know, and tells the story now with, uh, you know, a bit of regret. Um, but it's, it's one of those things, like, you never know, right? When you see these opportunities, and you've got this crazy entrepreneur who seems very driven, but the idea seems kooky. And back then, it was selling books online, you know. Jeff wasn't talking about uh, having an everything store, um, but you know, you never know. And uh, you know, these these are we always hear about the success stories, so it's kind of fun to uh, to talk about uh, when investors were kind of kind of faced with a life changing opportunity, and uh, because of circumstance missed it.
0: So it was a, it was a lawyer friend of his that he said uh, bring like eighty or hundred grand. Was that right? How'd the story go? That's something like yeah, he. You know, he, he
1: was able to kind of calculate uh, what that early, maybe $50,000 investment would have turned into. And, of course, it was ultimately multi- multiple millions. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think he was actually, uh, you know, kind of too hard of, on himself because you just don't know in the moment. Uh, that some, Sometimes the entrepreneurs, like a Bezos uh, or a Travis Kalanick at Uber, they seem crazy. They are crazy, but it turns out it's the kind of crazy that builds uh, multi-billion dollar companies.
0: Yeah, I think the way I look, Charlie Munger, the business partner of Warren Buffett, says, "Remember, there's no great tragedy in other people making money faster than you. It's always going to happen. There's always somebody that will miss out, that uh, some opportunity that you'll miss out on." I recently, as an investor, was approached uh, by a business to—I forget what percentage I was going to get, but it's just it wasn't in my area of competence, but so I didn't invest, and the business has gone, you know massive explosion in the last three months, but I never think that way. I think what Charlie Munger says, and I think, you know, this lawyer who missed the opportunity hopefully thinks is that uh, you focus on what you know, and you, if you're lucky, you'll get multiple opportunities in life. And so one thing I have learned, though, is don't ever tell somebody, oh, this is a stupid idea, and it's never going to work. You don't want to be on that side of the story. That's right. You're in the book where the guy goes, this is the guy who said I would never make it, and here I am. I started Uber or whatever like that. And
1: maybe another lesson is every so often – you know, listen to intuition, even if logic is telling you otherwise. You know, and one of the things I, I I would imagine early on about Bezos is that he did he you know he did he was showing a little flash of genius and and a really kind of compelling. Uh, um, devotion to the idea and I think that's for the folks that did get on board early on, they recognized that, that this is a smart guy who's gonna who's gonna uh, roll with the punches and adjust where he had to adjust and build something that is really uh, to be treasured and I think that's what Bezos has done over the past two
0: decades You have a great quote in there because one of the things that you can, com- for sure you can uh, that, uh, that Jeff Bezos emb- embodies Jeff Bezos embodies is persistence you have this line where uh, a guy Jeff Wilkie says it turned out that most of the things uh, uh, Jeff Wilkie said I thought it was going to be difficult and disruptive and I was skeptical that it was the right use of our resources uh, to manufacture they were I think they're talking about the the devices uh, the e-books. The first Kindle, yeah. yeah and it said it turned out that most of the things I predicted would actually happen but we still powered through it because Jeff is not deterred by short-term setbacks. And I think right. I read an article that said the average person, uh, sorry, about 50% of people will quit after one short-term setback. Uh, by the time you have two short-term setbacks, about 70 people, 70% people, seventy have quit. And by three setbacks, 90% of people will quit. But he's certainly a persistent guy, it seems like.
1: Oh yeah, and the, and the, uh, the origin story of the Kindle is just a great example. They worked on that for years and years. When it came out, it was uh, it, it ran out of supply. It took it took probably you know from the inception of the idea to the Kindle becoming a mainstream business, up six years. And uh, yeah, Bezos was tenacious, and the underlying belief was that uh, books were going to at least partially go digital. And uh, and if anyone was going to invent that future, it had to be Amazon because the brand was so tied up in books. And yeah, even if top lieutenants thought he was crazy, and he pushed ahead anyway.
0: All right, last question for you. As you read, researched uh, this book and Jeff Bezos, if today was your last day on planet Earth and you wanted to leave something, a short little blurb of what you learned from Jeff Bezos and the Amazon store for your kids and mankind, what would that one nugget be? <laughs> I think you know
1: the, the the central insight that Bezos had when he started Amazon at D e. Shaw was he was looking at the numbers uh, for the World Wide Web, and he concluded that we live in a time of dramatic change. And I think right now you'd look at the numbers for cell phone usage or social network usage, and you'd say the same thing is true. That we are just in the beginning of a massive transformation of our economy and our lives. Um, it's the beginning of like the formation of a technological society. Uh, to get uh, kind of really dramatic about it, and that in these in these kinds of transformations, a um, You know, new... Lots of new great things are going to be built because all the old rules are going away, and so I think the, the central insight of Amazon is we live at a time of great change. You can really create some amazing things, and I think that's true. That's going to be true for a while now, and so you know, to, you know, to my kids who are little, still little babies, so they're not uh, going to be starting businesses anytime soon. It's, it's, uh, you know, the, the lesson is maybe the, the old conventional paths in business or in media or, or really anywhere are. Are, are no longer relevant. You can really try new things, and invent new things, and have fun, and build things, and uh, try to make an impact on the world.
0: Awesome. So, Brad Stone, go out and get this book. You can get it, ironically, at Amazon. It's on my tylopescom slash books. It's on my recommended list of best books to read. It truly is a, it's a great book. The Everything Store, Jeff Bezos and the Age of Amazon. Brad any new books or other books that you've written that you that uh, people should get and what's the best way if people want to follow your stuff? What's your Twitter website or what do you uh, like to hand out?
1: Yeah. Well, thanks, Ty. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, Twitter is twitter.com slash bradstone. Very easy. And uh, as for new projects, um, you know, I, I write for Bloomberg Business Week. I've got the new cover story on uh, Google's antitrust misadventures in Europe. Uh, that's, I, I hope, a pretty good read. And uh, yeah, I'm always kind of thinking of new books and, and planning and, and uh, plotting. And uh, when the time is right, I'll definitely call you up and we'll do this
0: again. Awesome. Well, thanks, everybody, for being on today's Book of the Day show, Grand Theory of Everything. Brad Stone, thanks so much. And uh, go out there and do something that hasn't been done yet. The world needs good ideas and people who can do them.